Good morning, everyone. Today we're going to be reading from two different places. We're going to be in Isaiah 57, 14 through 15, and then later in Matthew 5, 3 through 6. So first, Isaiah 57, 14 through 15. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to receive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Now we're going to be in Matthew 5, 3 through 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Haley. It is so good to see faces that we haven't seen in a year or more. So if you are a guest uh, and we've never met or your first time back as today in the last year, we want to welcome you. And as Vince said, we are in an exciting season in the life of our church. And um, yeah, I'm just so thankful that we could gather together today and worship together, sing together, say hello, greet one another. Um, yeah, it is just really good to see so many faces this morning. Roanoke is a beautiful place for many reasons. Uh, I, I didn't, we've not always lived here, right? So I didn't know where Roanoke was really, I don't think, until about 13 years ago. I mean, I think I saw it on a weather map. Please don't be offended. But I didn't know it was a beautiful, amazing place. And, um, and one of the reasons for that is because I'm a, I'm a Four Seasons guy. Are you a Four Seasons person? I love all Four Seasons here. And, you know, to go out of the dog days of summer into the crisp fall, one of my favorite transitions. The other one probably is right now, the last four, like this four to six week run where creation is awakening from the death of winter. It's amazing. Uh, we were out of town on a working trip this, this past week, a few days back, and I, was, I went on an early morning sunrise walk by myself, no headphones, no music, just me, my Allegra, and the Lord. <laughs> it was awesome. And I'm like walking down this gravel road and I see two beautiful tulips, like light violet, that have just probably only been out for a couple of weeks, maybe a month, and, but they're just in their prime, they're beautiful. And then on the left, I scare up a covey of quail, and squirrels are dancing, and birds are singing everywhere, and it's just this great morning. 
I come around the corner and things open up and I can see the lake down below and the water shimmering and light is starting to come in uh, but the sun has not really risen yet and so but what hits me is the leaves these tiny buds that have turned into like baby leaves that are all just dancing in the trees and so you can see for about two or three weeks maybe not even that long I don't know you can have you noticed this you can see the dimension and the depth of the of the tree lines and the woods building out into the mountainside you can't you won't be able to see it in three or four weeks because it'll all be just like one huge flat thing but right now you can see the dimensions of creation it's beautiful it's amazing I um, then came the sunrise and this purple sky just kind of out of nowhere and I thought man I'm not six minutes into this morning walk and creation is popping off everywhere, giving glory to God, awakening to God. If you are considering the Christian faith, if you're young in your faith, if you're thinking about baptism as a way of going public because you're ready to believe the gospel, wherever you are early in your Christian faith, weave this concept into your understanding of Christianity. Christianity is awakening to God. That's what Christianity is all about. Like Christianity is all about the human soul awakening to God, becoming alive to God, uh, discovering and awakening from the dead winter and like just bringing glory to God in your awakening. That's what we want to talk about this morning. And, and I want to use this idea to help us into Isaiah because Isaiah is talking about awakening. Twice in verse 15 he says, revive. Did you see that? Revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. So revival uh, is when the spirit of God, you know, in church life we talk about revival and and. What I want to say this morning is that, that there are lots of different views on revival. Like you might think of sort of old-fashioned tent meeting revival. Or you might think of revival, on the other hand, when someone comes in and says revival, judgment begins at the house of God, right? Like the lost need Christ and the house of God needs Christ on one hand or the other. You might also think of revival in different ways. When the, when, here's what revival is. When the Spirit of God blows, just most foundationally, and Isaiah is helping us with this. When the Spirit of God blows a fresh awakening into the life of a person or a family or a student group or a church, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the awakening of souls to God. All right, today we want to ask Isaiah the prophet, what is revival? What does revival look like? Verse 15, he says there's an awakening. There's a coming to life of somebody. So what I want to do is invite you to pray with me, maybe even during the church service today. Did you know that that is legal? You're allowed to pray with your eyes open, right? Is it legal? Do you think it's legal? If you think it's legal to pray with your eyes open once in a while, slip up your hand. Okay, I got a couple. All right, excellent. Okay, so you can pray now. You can pray this week with me. We want to, we want to pray for an awakening. I think, personally, this body of Christ, our church family, we are ripe for an awakening of God. 
that the Spirit of God would blow fresh on us. So I want to ask you to pray with me. This isn't, this isn't like a pastor saying revival's coming. This is God inviting us to blow a fresh wind of awakening. I want to invite you to pray that way. Pray today, pray next week. As we're coming in for, to the end of the book of Isaiah, you're going to see this theme of awakening. Isaiah gives us four true signs of revival, of awakening to God. Let me walk through them with you. Verse 14, that'll be the first one. True revival sees what God is doing. Look at verse 14. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove obstructions. This is God speaking in verse 14. Remember, Isaiah is speaking for God. That's what prophets do. He's speaking for God, and in, in your translation, you probably have it in quote marks. Do you see that? And it shall be said, and then it's in quotes. Most of, chapter, most of the uh, verses from 14 through 21 are in quotation marks to say this is God speaking. This is, this is God's voice. So Isaiah is saying... Prepare the way for my people. Isaiah is saying, God is saying, don't let anything keep my people from coming back to me. Build up the roadbed. Get it up out of the mire and the bog. Make it so they can travel up on this path. Pull the obstructions out of the way, the trees that fell down in the last storm. Get them out of the way. I'm asking you to make it ready, make it possible for my people to come back to me. That's what God is doing. He's inviting He's inviting his people to come back. Remove every, look at this, mark this. Remove every obstruction from my people's returning to me. This is a major theme in Isaiah. This is exactly what, I was, uh, what Isaiah is doing throughout his whole book. Think of Isaiah as John the Baptist of the Old Testament. Prepare the way, prepare the way. That's exactly what he's doing. Isaiah is preaching, he's writing, he's praying. He's calling. He's inviting God's people, right, to come back to him. Whether he's addressing the exiles in captivity or more broadly calling all of God's people of all times back to himself, either way, wherever you see yourself in the book at this point, he is calling his people back to himself. He's been saying stuff like this the whole book. Like, if, this is, if, if you're early in Isaiah with us, you're just visiting today or, or recent weeks, this has been going on through the whole study. Look, stop letting your religious hypocrisy, Isaiah said early on, don't let your religious hypocrisy be in the way. That's an obstacle to me. Your pride is in the way. Trusting in other nations to save you, trusting in any nation to save you is in the way of returning to me. Your idolatry is in the way. Your spiritual adultery is blocking me. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Awakening, listen to this, just like basic first step, awakening to God. Awakening to God begins, begins with seeing the obstacles that God wants to remove that are keeping me from Him. Seeing with His eyes, hearing with His ears, believing with, with, with His heart, seeing what's keeping you. So you, you might ask yourself, like, 
I do, want to, I do want God in my life. I do want to come back to God. What is keeping me from God? I, I would encourage you to pray that way. What is keeping you? What's blocking, what's blocking your way back to Him? And you might think, well, I'm good. I'm good. But you might not be. So pray. And if you pray and ask God, to give you eyes to see, and especially if you talk to others about this, your spouse or those in your family, and you actually help each other start to see how it is that you could get back to God in a Bible study class, a community group, uh, a family life, a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If you start praying and talking about what God is doing, I think He will answer you and give you eyes to see what's keeping you from getting back to Him. Here's the second thing. True awakening not only sees what God is doing, but it hears the call to humility and repentance. Now, we're going to do uh, a slow read on verse 15. So will you, if you don't have your Bible out yet, there's one in the pew back in front of you. You could just open up to the middle of the Bible and you'll be pretty close to Isaiah, right? See if you can find that. We're in Isaiah 57. Uh, probably should have invited you to do that a minute ago. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Slowly read this with me, okay? Just walk through this with me. Kind of slow it down, purposefully slow it down. Here we go. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity whose name is holy. For thus says the one who is, for, the, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up. He's, there's one God who is high and exalted. I was with somebody yesterday at a soccer match and it was a Christian context, two Christian schools, and one person from one of the schools said uh, when things were going well, it looks like the soccer gods are in our favor. And I was like, what, wait, what? There aren't soccer gods in the Christian way of thinking. This would be a person who should have known better. There's one true and living God. There are no soccer gods. There are no football gods. There are no basketball gods. There are no golf gods. Like people want, people are incurably religious, so even during the middle of a great golf shot, people will say, oh, the golf gods have smiled on him, you know? Like people are incurably religious, but I'm telling you, the Bible says, and the truth of the matter is, there is one true and living God. He's high and lifted up, and, and he inhabits eternity. Just like you inhabit your address at your street where you live, that little space, even if you live in a really big house, it's a little space to the God who inhabits eternity. That's amazing. That's amazing. His name is holy. That's why we were singing this morning. Holy, holy, holy. Here's the amazing thing about verse 15. God dwells in two places. See if you can find them. Verse 15, God dwells in two places. One place you cannot go high and lofty who inhabits eternity, right? 
and one place that you can go. I dwell in the high and holy place. You can't get there, but I will choose to dwell with you if you meet me in the low place, in the place of the contrite. I, look at this, I also dwell with him who is of contrite and lowly, lowly spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit. Blessed are those who humble themselves. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like Blessed are those who, who are, the, are poor in spirit. They will see God, right? That's where God is going to meet us. God will meet you in your humbling of yourself. Look what it says at the end of verse 15, and I will revive, I'll give life, I will awaken the spirit of the humble. With pride comes spiritual death. Don't ever forget that. But with humility comes spiritual life. This is what Jesus was talking about all the time. And then the very last line of verse 15, to revive and awaken the heart of the contrite. Now, to grasp what Isaiah is really saying here, you've got to back up to the heart of the problem in chapter 57. As I've kind of reverse engineered this for you from working from the end of the chapter back, but if you go back to say, settle into verses three through 13, look at verses three through 13, and you'll see the real recurring problem for Judah and Israel. They walked away from God, deserting him, right, like a spouse openly committing adultery. That's what's going on in verses three through 13, spiritual adultery. Shamelessly and shockingly, verse five, you who burn with lust among the oaks. God's own people Engaging in like nothing less than an anything goes romp with paganism. Openly perverted and distorted in their sexuality up among the oaks under every green tree, worshiping the Canaanite fertility goddess. This is just shameless and shocking. Ritual sex and prostitution, which was at the heart of Canaanite worship, they thought, hey, why not? Verse 7, on a high and lofty mountain you've set your bed and you went up there in an act of perverse worship. Verse 8, deserting me, you've uncovered your bed and you're like, you, you, not only have you walked away from me, but you shamelessly participate in perverted, distorted, sexual Canaanite worship. God's people have gone way too far and he's calling them back. One of the major themes of the Bible, listen to this, one of the major themes of the Bible is that God's relationship with us is like a marriage, and God loves us with a jealous love, a perfectly pure, jealous love, like a husband who is passionate toward his wife and protective of his wife and treasures his wife. That's the way God wants to relate to us. That's why Isaiah and so many of the prophets would say over and over again, if we treat God just like he's one among many different lovers, it's spiritual whoredom. God has loved us in Christ. And so the apostles described the church as the bride of Christ. And 
And the gospel is a marriage relationship marked by deep love and affection from bo by both sides. Listen, it's why the most, this is why the most important thing about you is your total devotion and love for Christ. That's why you come to Christ not in control but in surrender and in giving yourself. It's also why some of us need to stop dating Jesus and go all the way. Like, I think I'll date Jesus this weekend and maybe some other stuff next weekend and I'll dabble in this this weekend and I'll dabble in this next weekend and I'll just take a little bit. Of, like, there's a brand of Christianity that thinks that's okay. It's not okay. It's not good for you. It's not okay. Jesus wants all of you. And we need to get in all the way. Being nice, harmless, church-going people. I love the way Zach said this last Sunday. This should sound familiar from last Sunday. Be nice, harmless, church-going people with no repentance, no submission, no pursuit of Christ, all covered with a glaze of sentimental religion on Sundays is not what God wants for us. We have drifted from the gospel and we don't have time to get back. So revival is the awakening of your deepest affections. That's what revival is. Like revival's not just a bunch of goofy stuff and, and fanatics going on. And revival's not a pastor at the end of a service so tugging on your heartstrings that he can get you to, to come and make a decision for Jesus. That's not true revival. True revival is when you awaken from the dead and in humility and in submission to Christ, you are made alive again to live for Him and to love Him with all of your heart and soul and mind. Like, that's true awakening. And you don't have to wait for us to bring the tent into town and have a crusade. You don't have to wait for that. You could do it today. You could do it today and nothing wrong with 10 Crusades. Nothing, I, I love Billy Graham's ministry. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just telling you, you don't have to wait for that. You could fall on your face before the Lord today and say, oh God, awaken this wintry dead soul. And he would act in response to your contrition and repentance and your faith. Because that's what he does. That's why verse 15 says, Revive the heart. And that's why verse 16 says, the breath of life that I made. I give life. You can take it away. You can kill it in the winter of disobedience and the winter of drifting. Or you can return to me. And I will blow a spring breeze that brings life back into your dry and weary soul. Here's the third thing. Awakening to God longs for the face of God. See if you can find that in verse 17. Just take a second and see if you can find it in verse 17. I keep forgetting you're here. This is amazing. Can you hear me okay? You good? Love it. So good to have Brother Will back. You see it in verse 17? 
awakening, true revival longs for the face of God. I hid my face, God says. He went on backsliding, God's disobedient people, Israel. He went on backsliding, whoever the disobedient in his own heart is, right? This is what we do in disobedience to God, in walking away from God. We, uh, the term backsliding is not used a lot in the Bible, but it's here, right? So, and, and so sliding away from God, distancing ourselves from God, drifting further and further. Guess what the inevitable result of that is? God's face becomes unrecognizable hidden. Not because of me, I'm I'm sorry, not because of him, but because of me. I've hidden my face, God says. God's face is it. So true revival, think about revival like this. True revival is revival is longing for the face of God, longing to see him again. His nearness, his presence, his closeness, immediacy. Psalm 27 says this. You have said to me, Lord, seek my face. You've called me to seek your face. Now my heart says to you, your face I will seek. Hide not your face from me any longer. This is the way the Bible talks about being in a life-giving relationship with God, longing for the face of God, delighting in the face of God. When, so see, see if this has happened to you. Some of you who are parents have had this experience. Maybe many of you have had this experience. I'm gone for, say, 9, 10, 11 days on a mission trip, or for whatever reason, I, I don't see several of my children for that period of time uh, on a work trip or whatever it is. And then you come back home and you look into your 14-year-old's face and you're like, man, I kind of almost forgot exactly what he looked like. It's so good to see your face, right? So you've been gone for two weeks and you look at one of your children's faces when you come home and you see their eyes with this fresh interest and you see the warmth of their smile. Like, if that happens to me, in a two-week period, what would it be like for the father to see his child, to see you returning to him? What kind of a smile does the face of God get when you start to long to see him again? Think about that. Some of you might have a hard time even imagining that God would want to see you like that in warmth and embrace and, and because for so long uh, you heard God was mad at you. God, you're not doing anything right. Do this, do that, do that. You need to repent, you know. And maybe you don't even have a lot of space to think about God as a father who when he saw you would be like, oh, it is so good to see you. Let's never part like that again. I don't ever want there to be distance between us again. What's missing? Sometimes what's missing and what's blocking the way back is our own longing for God. You could ask God for that. You could pray 
like so many in the Bible have prayed. I want to seek your face, God. You said to seek your face. Now my heart says to you, I will seek your face. And then when you tie that to the urgency that we heard last week from Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Like, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. He will abundantly pardon. You know, Zach was saying last week, seek the Lord now while he may be found. The hot sign, I love that, Krispy Kreme. Hot sign is on. The hot sign is on. The red letters are lit up. And you're driving down the road, kind of distracted by life, and all of a sudden you realize the hot sign is on. Maybe I do need to return to God. Why would you wait? Why not turn in? We should ask God. Like, I feel like, as I said, we, we are ripe for God to awaken this, this family, us, for, uh, for Him to awaken us for, uh, for him to awaken me. It starts with me. By the way, you can't pray for anybody else until you pray for yourself in this. So God, awaken me. I want to long for your face again. Let's pray for an awakening in this body. It starts right here with each of us to sense his immediate presence and his nearness. All right, here's the fourth thing and then we'll close. And I love the, the movement of this because it's kind of like a whole Bible direction, you know? Start with God, move through repentance and faith, long for restoration, and then you'll get what you didn't come for. You know, you thought you wanted other things. You thought you needed God for certain things, but then you discover longing for Him more than what He can do for you is the, is the way it should work, right? But then in His goodness, He gives it stuff to you. He gives you peace. He gives you healing. And maybe not in the same way that you thought you would get it. So verses 18 through 21. I have seen His ways but I will heal him. Now, you could just, it could just end right there. This line, this verse, this verse 18 is, this line alone is loaded with gospel. Just look at it for a second. Let it sink in. I've seen his ways. I've seen his disobedience. I've seen his idolatry. I've seen his spiritual adultery. I've seen all of his brokenness, but I will still heal him. That's amazing. I will still restore. I've seen him far away from me. Verse 19, peace, peace to the far and to the near. Listen, some of you are far away from God, further away from God than you should be and further away from God than you want to be. Some of you are near to the Lord, 
but still not as close as you want to be and longing for his face and really deep awakening. But God says it's okay wherever you are. Peace is coming to those who are far from me and those who are near to me. What I'm trying to say is anybody who's willing can come back to me and I will give them deep peace, deep shalom. The wicked will not get that. Those who live in the rebellion will not get that. Verse 20 and verse 21. If you just say, hey look, God knows where I am. He knows my address. If he wants to do something in my life, that's fine. You say that, you will never get peace. You'll never get it. I'm going to live my life, do my thing, presume on God. Hey, listen to this. Presuming on God is dangerous. We're not talking about presuming on a person. Presuming on God is dangerous. But to those who will return, no matter how far away you are, no matter how close you are, if you will return far and near, if you will return, says the Lord, I will, I will heal you. I will give you peace. When you finally awaken to God, these two things will mark your life. And only God can guarantee it. You know this because you've been trying to find healing and peace in other places. But only God can promise this. Peace I will give you. One of, my, one of my favorite scenes in the New Testament, right? Jesus on the boat with his disciples, storms going crazy. What does Jesus say? Look, you're, you're dealing with the Lord of the universe here. Peace, be still. I want to ask you to do something kind of risky instead of just sort of playing church this week, why don't you pray something like this? Revive and awaken this heart. Can I, can I pray with you? And if you want to get in on it, then you just, like we're praying together and you just voice something like this, all right? So let's pray. Whether you consider yourself a new believer, a young believer, or a believer of many years, pray something like this. Lord, I, I long for you. I want to come back to you. Would you awaken my wintry cold soul to the things of God? I, I want that. God, I'm sorry. I, I want to turn. I want to confess and turn away from. I want to acknowledge and turn away from my sin, from all the other false lovers, from the spiritual adultery that I've been committing. God, I'm ashamed of it. And I want to come back. Will you have me? Will you have a less than pure bride? Will you have me back, Lord? 
and then hear the voice of God say, yes, I've seen your ways, but I will heal you. I've seen your ways, but I will heal you. So Lord, we come to you this morning acknowledging that you've seen our ways and we long for healing. Just voice in your own words a simple prayer for deep awakening. Do that for a moment or two and then, John, when you're ready, we'll just sit quietly before the Lord and then we'll sing in just a moment.